to go into a game 82, winner goes to the playoffs, loser goes home. That takes balls, AJ. And the Avs balls for this one were just perfect. I mean, they went in there and they manscaped the hell out of them. Made it look good out there on the ice by using that lawnmower 3.0, which when this game was played... The 2.0 is out. The 3.0 is new. Their new and advanced one for 2020 here that will take care of your balls and make them look like the jewels that they are. Plus, you can get 20% off when you order from manscaped.com when you use code DNVR20, and you'll get free shipping as well. So don't wait. Order now. Make sure your balls are looking good, and you can get the deodorant as well as anti-chafe spray to keep everything down there fresh. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole. A left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rantanen. He shoots and scores. Nathan McKinnon. Cole J.T. Comfer. 877 goes now. Gabriel Landeskog. Collective hugs. 29 and 92. Save me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon, my goodness gracious. Welcome in to the DNVR Avalanche Podcast, presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. They have over a thousand different varieties of beer for you to try, so when you're celebrating the Avs making the playoffs, you're good to go. I'm Nathan Rudolph, with me is AJ Hayfley, and we just watched the Avs beat down the St. Louis Blues in Game 82 of the 2017-18 season to jump into the playoffs for the first time in four years, I believe it was, and quite the game. AJ, obviously this one isn't too far back, so the memories were still decent, but I still thought it was an impressive game on the second watch through. Yeah, the first period was more competitive than I remembered. Yeah. Uh, I really had remembered it being a lot more uh, abs tilted. And then we watched it again, and, you know, they... St. Louis had chances, you know, the early power play. They really looked good uh, early in the game. But once once Colorado got into it, man, they, this did not look at all like the Colorado-St. Louis games of the last two years. It really did not. Far more open opportunities both ways, for that matter. Uh, the mm-hmm. Blues were not the team that were just locking the abs down and making their life a nightmare. So, at I mean, let's face it, the Avs, as they were constructed for this game, kind of needed some of that. Running Mark Barbario, Mark Alt, a defense of just kind of whoever they had left lying around at that point. Yeah, you remember Eric Johnson uh, had hurt his knee Yep, a couple weeks before in the Philadelphia game when he went crashing into the end boards, end boards and fractured his kneecap. So Mark Alt was in this game. Mark Barbario was in this game, and when Mark Barbario played this season, people generally lost their mind. Yeah. Because the six guys in front of Barbario uh, are all just legitimately better. Pretty cleanly, yeah. Yeah. 
they've taken those steps forward and just as a as a group as a, a the talent base around had gotten so much better that barbario was i in my opinion i mean not even like a clear cut seventh their seventh best defenseman this year it ended up being that way uh, but i think that comparable in talent level certainly to kevin Connaughton, uh certainly connor timmons you could have had the conversation with yeah um, so there were there were some guys. I mean, how Anton Lindholm played two games this year and was good in those games too. So the uh, the depth was just it, it, it was interesting to see that depth. You know, Mark Alt playing meaningful minutes. Final final shift. Uh, they're trying to protect the lead. Patrick Nemeth and Nikita Zadorov are on the ice. And, that was the shutdown pair. Yeah, and that's how Patrick Nemeth got all those pluses is because he got to be out there for all the empty net goals. <laughs> He's not wrong. Um, yeah. The minuses, well, didn't, uh, the minuses didn't hurt him when they gave up that goal. Cause it's like, Oh, got the extra guy. Anyway, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> uh, so we'll get to the, the top part of that defense in a second, but I am wearing my three headed monster shirt right now. Uh, as that was the season that spawned this beast to a certain extent. Yeah. And uh, Nathan McKinnon, obviously the, the massive third goal for the avalanche to put them ahead. Honestly, Rantanen was a bit quiet in the game. He had some great, great chances, but Allen just seemed to have his number. And then you have Landeskog who you were uh, fawning over in the chat during the game. Oh man. He was, he was awesome in that game. You can always tell there's a different level that Landeskog finds when he's really locked in in the game. Yeah. Uh, you can, it's always in his skating. It always shows up in his skating more than anywhere else because he's always working hard. He's always trying uh, to, to impact the game in all three zones. But when his skating is really, when he is cutting through the neutral zone and just leaving guys behind, he's, he's at a different level that night. And we saw him in this game. He was all over the place early middle of the game late doesn't matter uh he was he was just a totally different animal in this one and obviously the the empty net goal you know he needed to he needed to be teaching some of his teammates how to how to hit the empty net because oh my gosh did they miss yeah, there were a lot of whiffs man. like mckinnon could have had 40 ranton yep. could have had 30 both yep. of them ended up one goal shy of those marks and they each missed an empty net Yep. Como missed an empty net. I have no idea how many goals that would have been for him. But Matt Nieto was the guy that buries it. <laughs> Off of a uh, Soderberg not wanting to take the goal for himself, to be I'm fair. I'm telling you, man, he was going to his left. He couldn't see it. <laughs> he couldn't see Nieto either then, so he made a pretty decent pass. He can feel Nieto, though. Okay, he can feel him with the force, but he can't yeah. feel the net. I see. That's how it goes, man. That's why he throws literally blind passes all the time. <laughs> no joke blind. Got it. Yeah. He was fun to watch in this game, too. He just was. remembering it. Oh, man. He was a better skater than I remember Soderbergh as, man. Not going to lie. More engaged than yep. I would have given him credit for. Yep. So just in this game, Kim right. Just, just to, I was trying. I was trying to pull this up just out of curiosity. <laughs> Gabe Landeskog, one goal, two assists, a plus two, six shots on goal, ten hits, and a blocked shot, and two takeaways. 
and finished 73% on faceoffs. Not bad. So, if he was on your fantasy team that day, chances are your fantasy team did quite well. <laughs> yep. Coming through clutch at the end of the season for fantasy, too. Push somebody over to win their championship. That's right. Um, so, obviously, a great leading performance by the captain, but this... And the happiest guy after the game. Yeah, obviously. Very after the stoked in the celly, yeah. Like, he was, I mean, he was just jumping up and down, and everybody else is hugging people, and he's, like, leaned over the boards while his teammates hug, and he's just celebrating, like, yes! Yeah. And it was like, ah. The man at the so bottom happy. of the dog pile as well, <laughs> so... He was, he was probably still hurting from that. <laughs> Recovering. Didn't want to get tackled again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, obviously, great work there. I do want to touch on Jonathan Bernier in net as well, because one of the things that I appreciated way more watching this game back is how calm that guy is in net. Mm -hmm. And Grubauer, I wouldn't say is particularly super active in net, but not at all. Looking at someone like Francois, things get pretty scrambly in there, man. <laughs> and compared to that, Bernier is like, yep, I'm in my position and I sit here and I make the save. So, yeah, I, uh, two years time gone. I appreciate that about Bernier a lot more than I did back then. That save that he made uh, the first minute or so, the third period on the shot that was point blank. Yep. And he was totally square. Biggest save of the game, in my opinion, on either side. Um, he, had, he had some solid ones in the first, too, though. Is the only he did, thing. but that's that's a 3-1 game. You're going in yeah. um, first minute of the third period. Protecting a 3-1 lead, they don't, you know, if that gets to 3-2, they don't pull their goalie with four and a half minutes to play. True. You know, you probably don't have 16 different shots at the empty net. You are in a much, much, much different situation where if they if they do finally break through, they go to overtime, your life is ruined. Yeah. That was all they had to do. They had to get to overtime. And so for for that to, for him to make that save at the start of that third period, it was so big. And there really wasn't a quality chance quite on that level the rest of the game. And so that, I think that's that stop. I remember when it happened, I thought, oh, that's really big. And then rewatching it, that save particularly stood out as well. And especially knowing that he was sick uh, yeah. that day, yeah. that, that he was, he, he had a fever that day um, and couldn't keep, uh, couldn't keep fluids down. He was battling. Yeah. He battled through and really considering that, the final score was five to two, a much better goaltender battle than it sounded like. Yeah. And Allen did really play quite well for a lot of this yeah. game. Yep. And I mean, you look at the, he only gave up three goals. Yep. And you look at the three that he gives up and the first one, he doesn't see it's a perfect screen by Soderberg. Yep. Um, the second one, the Barry goal from the point probably was offside and shouldn't have counted, but maybe the only one that you're like, meh. And then the third one is just a perfect deflection that beats him. Yeah, nothing he could have done on that one. 
And and I mean, like your Jake Allen didn't play poorly. Not by at all. any stretch. I mean, did game not play have, poorly. The Avs could have easily ran away with this game with some of the saves he had to make. Yeah, that big that big glove save that he made on Soderberg in the third period when it was starting to wind down. Yep. With like what was it? It was like six seven minutes to go. Made a mask save off of a classic Miko one timer on the power play as well earlier in the game. It's just he played yeah. he played well. The team in front of him let him down. Couldn't solve Bernier. Uh, they were bad. Kind of. I mean, yeah. Imagine the Avs laying thirty nine shots on this year's Blues. Uh, they'd be and, lucky to get to 29, I think. <laughs> right. Well, and and I'd have to go back and actually pull up all of the, all of the games and the data, but I I mean at least 25 scoring chances and probably 10 to 12 high danger chances because they they got really good looks in this one. I I would say so. And on that note, it's time to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNBR. As AJ has the hat on, I yeah. can see right there a nice little logo. Breckenridge has uh, a variety of choices to try, whether it be the Avalanche Amber, the Colorado Core, the Strawberry Sky, their new seasonal Raspberry Wit. All of them are available to you even in quarantine. You can get them delivered through an app like Drizzly, or you can get them picked up from the farmhouse down in Littleton. And if you want to get a meal for lunch on the go or something like that, you can get $5 off your pickup from the farmhouse when you use code DNVR. Give them a call at 303-803-1300. 80 pick up from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. every single day. Get on it, help support Breckenridge Brewery and us here at DNVR. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits with Rudo and AJ. Cheers to Steph. Appreciate you. I have a Mountain Dew here. Unfortunately, I drank all of my Breck brew already, so gonna have to get a, another order in, but for now, it's Mountain Dew. Let's talk about Sam Gerrard. Uh, uh, I don't know if I want to call it a coming out party because he had been rock solid this whole season. And even from like the minute he got here, it was pretty clear he was going to stick on the abs. But boy, did he show up on what had been the biggest stage of his career, certainly to that point. Uh, on ice results in that game, 5v5, Sam Gerrard, 14 scoring chances for, 7 scoring chances against. The 14 led the Avs, and the 7 was one of the better defensive uh, numbers for them. Pretty good. I mean, I this was, for me, I'll speak for myself, because I know a lot of people disagree on this topic. The goal was awesome. The selly from Sam was awesome. A, a big jolt of emotion from him and for the entire Avs team that I do think made a big difference. But this game cemented in my mind that that player could be rock solid on defense for the abs made a couple of great defensive plays in this one um he and Jaden schwartz went head to head quite a bit and held his own and like we you're talking about a guy like sam gerard going up against a guy like Jaden schwartz um holding your own is is acceptable because you're not expecting him you're not expecting him to dominate, right? You're not expecting him to shut it all down. Yeah. But held his own. Uh, head-to-head. 
the Blues outshot the Avs six to five with Schwartz on the ice. So pretty even there. Gerard held that in check and the rest of his time on the ice, he wasn't giving up hardly any scoring chances based on those numbers then. Yeah. Uh, Gerard, uh, he was um, uh, plus four in shots on goal uh, at even at five V five in that game. Yeah. Uh, 14, four and 10 against uh, 14, seven in scoring chances, seven, four in high danger chances, all positive numbers. Um, 22, 18 in Corsi. So dude was, dude was locked in and, <laughs> took their took the toughest matchup that the Blues had to offer that night with Schwartz and Shen and didn't dominate but held his own and when you remember that he was a 19 year old rookie yep hadn't even turned 20 yet yeah a 19 year old rookie and Eric Johnson is out did not play in this game like it's it's one thing for us to talk about Sam Gerard today taking on a top matchup, right? In his in his third year, what will be his fourth year when the world resumes? But this was his rookie year. He was a teenager, and in a must win game, they gave Sam Gerard the toughest the toughest matchup that the St. Louis Blues had to offer. And I mean, first of all, it's an underrated thing that that Jared Bednar does. We talk about coaches not not trusting young players trusted Sam Gerrard in this one. And you think about how important that was for Gerrard and for his confidence and for his development in the league to be put in those types of situations that early on. I mean, they threw their hat in the ring and they said, we trust Sam Gerrard. We're going to ride or die with this kid. And they rode him all the way into the postseason on this one. Yep. Uh, and, Part of this is that the Evs didn't have any choice but to play Sam Gerrard in some of these situations. The Nikita Zadorov patrick Nemeth shutdown pairing, which was their right. shutdown pairing at the time, is, is what it is. The puck skill is very questionable on getting pucks out of your own zone there. Right, but a traditional traditional coach, I mean, think about Mike Babcock is going to yeah. be running that. It's going to be hard matching that. Very true. He's going to be running those guys out there in a hard match situation. And Jared Bednar throws a 19-year-old into the fire and just says, all right, take us Go home. Go get it, kid. Yep. And, and he absolutely did. And he did. And, you know, we we get on the coaching staff a lot because of the way that they, they handle young players. And this is just one of many examples of Jared Bednar trusting the young kid. And you could say, well, what better option does he have? You could say that for a lot of different teams. What, what better option is there? Oh, it's only the logical choice. But you go, coaches go with experience. They lean on the experience. How we saw it this year with Kevin Connaughton. Yep. Kind of being that, like, safety valve for the defense when they needed to call somebody up. It, you know, it's... Looking back on it, I it was not something I appreciated at the time. But Gerard was great in this game. The coaching staff recognized it, and they fed him the minutes and the matchups. And he rewarded him, man. Uh, yep. Sam Gerrard was a superstar in this one. Let's live in this moment for Sam Gerrard and not a couple games later when Nashville breaks him. Yeah. So that's I mean, a, I, a different I think, topic. I think, yeah. I think this is the last time we see Sam Gerrard play this week. Yeah, because did he play in game two? I forget. 
Um, game two might have been when he got actually. Yeah, actually I, when I he got hurt. think he plays this when he gets hurt is in game two. So yeah, but anyway, that's it, later this week. Definitely is. Um, so you've recorded this podcast once before, AJ. I have not. Yeah, that's. I guess that's um. God. That's true. <laughs> so I'm curious. How different are your takes right now compared to the first time you were doing this? If you I'm can still, recall back that far. I'm still a little in shock that this game happened at all. That yeah. they were they were pushing for 95 points. I mean, they were 48 points the year before. Yep. You're talking about doubling. One point shy. Yeah, their season total. I'm... <laughs> Not just that, but this game mattering with... Chicago scoring on the Blues with seven seconds left in their game, and the yeah. whole multitude of collapsing that had to happen in the se- in the last fifteen games of the season for so many teams. Yeah, well, I mean the the game in Anaheim where they had the two nothing lead on yep. post goals, and they blew it earlier in the week, and they blew it in overtime. I it mean, took, uh, it took a lot, a lot of factors. Yeah, it did. Well, and this was, it was, it was a very classic young team that doesn't know how to win, doesn't know what they're doing in this situation, just fumbling around in the dark and running into the wall. Pretty much. <laughs> and we look at it now, and I think we almost take it for granted that how much they learned in this run about how to handle their business down the stretch. Because look at how they handled their business at the end of this run. Because, like, we just watched this game, but looking at the the last 10 games as a whole. Yeah. And then look how they handled it the next season when they were in the same situation. Yep. You know, were they lucky that the teams around them had all lost and that a 90-point team was going to qualify for the postseason? Yes, they were. But so were the other teams that were also in that race. They were just as lucky to be in, in that race as the abs were. Sometimes that happens. That's we how were headed. Yeah. We were headed for that kind of a finish this year. We were headed for another ninety to ninety-two point team, likely making the postseason. Yep. And you look at how Colorado responded at the end of last year when they went. You know, they they lost on March fifteenth to Anaheim. It looked like it was over, and then they were able to lean on the experience that they got during this run from the first time game. through. Yep. From this game, particularly they said, look, we've been in a win, win and, and move on situation. We're just now in it for the last 13 games of the year. And yep. they didn't even need all 13. They got, yep. they got into it, took 12, in a- got, got to the points and, and used this experience as a springboard to turn themselves into cup contenders over time. It a funny turn of events, that Winnipeg game 81, they did what the Blues couldn't and got the game to overtime to secure the playoff spot. Yeah, and then and won it. Then they won it, it but yeah. <laughs> so Because Eric Johnson. <laughs> yeah, with an insane tip, because that's what Eric Johnson does. But <laughs> Or was it ultimately Soderberg? I forget that goal, but... Uh, Soderbergh had the tip to tie it. EJ had the overtime goal. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Although oh, Johnson yeah. was Johnson was the one that was jumping. Through yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. When when Soderbergh tipped it. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, it's 
everything came up avalanche in the down the stretch, sort of, in the last two years, as even their losses didn't come back to bite them in the end, and it's because they showed up in the critical moments at the end of the day, like this game, game eighty two. Well, this was this was a game that had they lost, how does history change? I mean, yeah. You look at you look at their their Pepsi Center counterpart also had a game eighty two win and you're in situation that went to what that they lost in overtime or something. Yeah, they lose it in overtime. You not only then they then they got Michael Porter Jr. in the draft because of it, and then they spent all summer and all season obsessing over that loss and used it as the springboard to finish second. Yep. Last season in the West. And then they got into the postseason and had the same kind of struggles that the Abs had the year before against Nashville, where it was like, oh, you get punched in the mouth in the playoffs yeah. every single game. <laughs> you, you've got to figure this out. You have to learn how to win in this situation. It's a different world, for sure. It, it is. And it's interesting. It, if the Abs lose this game, I wonder what, I wonder how history changes. I mean, yeah. As simple as what if Tarasenko doesn't get hurt in the first period? What does this game even look like? Yeah, it, maybe it's one that maybe it's one that we make the excuses for the abs for. Yeah, you know, there's no Varley, there's no EJ. They were at battling the, at the through. time. Those were two very very important guys. Now Varley was the, their clear cut number one starter that year. Yeah, Var. I mean Varley. You you remember Varley had played fantastic mm-hmm. down the stretch that year and looked like vintage Varley. And Chicago finally had enough of it and ran him. <laughs> yeah, they finally figured out the NHL hits move and was like, oh. And they still lost to him. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a new sponsor here at DNVR, and it's one that's near and dear to me personally because I actually went to Metro State for college. You're a roadrunner? I am. Yep. I, I started at CSU, but Maybe. then went back at Metro State and finished there. So MSU Denver Online puts a dynamic education at your fingertips without forcing you to decide between earning a degree and living your life. I highly recommend their online classes. I used a bunch of them when I went there. Made my life really easy because even before I had this job, all I ever did was sit at my computer and clip avalanche games and things like that. So I never really had to leave home. That's not true. I did take plenty of classes on the campus as well, but the online place is a great way to start. You can head over to msudenver.edu slash online to scope out all the things they have to offer. They have 40 plus online and hybrid programs, as well as 750 different types of classes that you can take. Some of them are 100% online. You do not have to go in to a classroom ever. Others are different. They have multiple ways as our camera freaks out and focuses on AJ staring at his screen, but others have some online, some in class, a variety, whatever you need. AJ, are you doing this? I'm going to see. I'm not doing anything. Okay. Well, my Discord is freaking out, but go to MSU Denver and you can figure out probably how to fix Discord's terrible coding if you take their computer science program. Again, Discord's pretty good. It is. I I don't want to hate on Discord. I really enjoy Discord, but. 
there's always ways to improve, and MSU Denver Online might be one of them for you. Be sure to check them out. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by Davidson's with Rudo and AJ. What was the biggest surprise to you? Because I think we both had the same reaction when the game started playing and we were kind of like, oh, right. Mike Haynes cast the Avalanche two years ago. (laughs) Yeah. So. Um, That was a a shock. Yeah. Yeah. Remembering some of the roster, remembering how important that Soderberg Nieto Como line was. Yep. That was remembering, essentially their second line at the time. Remembering that Colin Wilson was actually a pretty good hockey player. Because <laughs> he was good in this game. And we're gonna we're gonna see it again this week. Like just remembering Colin Wilson like got a lot of flack because there would be stretches where he just wasn't very good. Yeah. But a pretty good hockey player, man. He, like, I mean, as a career, he's, he's known for showing up down the stretch as well. Yeah. Yeah. And was great in the postseason for the Avs last year. Yeah. No I argument just, there. It was just a, he made a couple of plays in this game where I was like, damn, man pretty good. Colin Wilson made some plays in this game. And I'm curious how he would have been on this year's club had I he mean, been healthy. Not to push. Because yeah. I think he's good. Like I think I think Colin I've always thought Colin Wilson was like a good NHL player, a solid NHL player and definitely a guy if he's always been an analytics darling and then you'll watch him and be like, "How?" But not everywhere he's been, it's always been that way. Not to pour salt in a wound, but a topic that came up in chat and I've been thinking about a little bit is Colin Wilson's career path. Tyson Jost screams that path to me. <laughs> uh, if Tyson Jost puts up a 20-goal season and, what was it, 39 points that year at some point? Yep. <laughs> cool <laughs> i'm cool with it just let it happen in colorado don't trade him to a, don't trade him to winnipeg and have him do it against yeah, you in the th- postseason there's the key that is the big key uh in this one i had trouble even just two years ago remembering some of the minor details i pretty much knew what the lineup was mark alt caught me a little bit off guard Yep, I completely forgot about the Mark Alt part of this game. Um, and then I remembered, oh, right, EJ. Um, well, I knew Mark Alt had played down the stretch. I just forgot he actually played in game 82. Yeah, so did I. But this game featured three waiver wire claims. You have yep. made the postseason with half of their defense picked up off waiver. Well, I mean, if you count forwards, you have Nieto on there, too. Yep. So it was an adventure. For the abs. I mean, it's a team that they did what they had. They turned over every stone imaginable to piece together a lineup that got them back into the postseason. And and I think along the way, I think they I think they found the formula for the kind of guys they actually really like. Yeah. I think that they have discovered that there's a personality type that they're after. 
I think that there's a certain type of guy. And what an outcast in those types of guys Sven Andrigetto always was. He was always an upside gamble. He was a bet yep. on raw talent. Yep. And it would work out a bit later uh, in this season for the Avs even. Yeah. And but... Sven's problem was he was just a classic top six or bust guy. Yeah, 100%. I, the talent... He had to play with skill players because when he was yeah. playing next to Gabe Bork, when he was playing on that fourth line, you could just see, like, hey, he needs to play with with other skill. You know, when he was in this game, he was playing next to Tyson Jost. They played off each other pretty well. You know, Kerfoot, Kerfoot was in this game too, which I miss him. And <laughs> you could see, like, you could see where the talent kind of came together when Andrew Ghetto had other skill players around him and not just grinders. But he could not, when he was in the top six and he got those shots, it wasn't consistent enough. Right. You know, exactly there, right. The consistency was his big problem. Yeah. There were flashes of just, you could see the talent. You know, there was that game in St. Louis that I covered last season where he and I think it was Kerfoot and Comfer combined for a goal where they just went tic-tac-toe up the entire ice and just outskated everybody. And mm-hmm. he cut in on uh somebody. I don't remember which I don't remember which goalie they were using that time. And scored, and it was just it was just this explosion of skill and speed. And like that was the Andrew Ghetto that was so easy to believe in. And he was such a feisty guy just naturally that you thought maybe they could get a grinder out of this guy. Maybe they could get a bottom six guy. And they just couldn't, man. They just they just couldn't. Yep. Um, he just didn't quite have the goods there. Not the right skill set, unfortunately. Yeah. And it, it ended up being what it was <laughs> at the end of the day. The question was asked during the game. Game one of the 1920 season, do you take Sven Andrigetto or Val Nachushkin? Because game 70, you take Nachushkin every single time. Um, I think you go, I mean, it's, I can't, I can't honestly answer that question. Yeah. Because I can't not know what I know today. Right. It's extremely hard to set that apart. That'll always color my, my vision of it. I, at the beginning of this season, I know I definitely would have said Andrew Ghetto. Yep. Just because he was a known quantity, he fit into the locker room. There were there were things that you could buy into there. Nachushkin, um, it took me and it took Nachushkin a while to work his way into that this year, uh, to fit into the locker room and to to kind of find his his voice and his place on the team and the, and the chemistry. And Sven already had that. Um, I would have taken Andrew Ghetto, but I would have been wrong. Well, here's the comparison. Again, can't take away this year, but the 18-19 regular season, Sven had 17 points in 64 games. Nachushkin had 10 points in 57 games. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the big stigma around Nachushkin was he couldn't score a freaking goal. 
Well, and it was also my. And it wasn't even so much that it was he didn't have any goals. It was that his t- he played twelve and a half minutes. I think. Yep. It was like twelve thirty nine average he ice was time. Getting consistent time, yeah. And that's that was like you you understood Gabe Bork struggling to produce any kind of offense. You understood AJ Greer was getting six minutes a game, right? right. Like you understood that there's, I mean, that's nothing in terms of production. They were literally playing half as often as Nachushkin was, and Nachushkin was doing nothing in Dallas offensively. Just a total black hole on offense. Underlying had him as a good defensive player, and that's all good and well. There are a lot of defense-only forwards out there. They are all over, and you know this as well as anyone. They are all over the AHL. Many, many, many forwards make an AHL career out of being that guy. And they're able to chip in enough offense to be useful players. Right. They well, they know, function guys... offensively, and they just are super, super sound defensively, and you can roll them out a billion minutes in the AHL. Right. You, you're talking the Felix Gerards, yep. the Marc-Andre Cliche type. Yep, like cliche is a great example. Yep, those are the types of guys that you're talking about uh, in these roles, and Nachushkin looked exactly like one of those guys, except he'd been drafted in the top ten a million years ago, pretty much. And the Abs had also done this over and over and over and over. Yep, they've been trying these reclamation projects. And when your team gets good enough, you just don't have room for them anymore. Right. And that was the thought with Nachushkin and without Colin Wilson's injury, Nachushkin may not happen. Right. It's why they let Andrew get walk in the first place. Yep. So yeah, that's ultimately what it came down to is, there wasn't really a place for that guy until after injury. And obviously knowing what we know now, Nachushkin earned his keep the way that Andrew never really could. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, when you're talking about being a mid 20 point player with elite defensive metrics. Yep. You find a place for that guy. Absolutely. Cause you know, Andrew then... didn't have that defensive side and he was a 17 point player in 1819. And and then you look at a guy like Jost, who ended up as a mid twenty point guy, with uh, very good shot impacts on both offense and underlyings. Yeah, like you find a place for that guy too. Yep. Especially when you consider the age on both of them, and then you look at a guy like Belmar, and this is why I have Belmar as my like low key keep an eye on him. Yep. Going um, into the summer, when you got to find places for guys, you got to make the room. <laughs> It was also it was also how much could they have used a guy like Belmar in this St. Louis game? Oh, as they were coming damn. down the stretch. They yep. were just like, we don't have a guy to do this job. McKinnon, go. Soderberg, go. Like just we're just gonna give you our best players because this is just this is how we got here. <laughs> the three players we, we have, have that are above forty percent on faceoffs. Get out there. <laughs> right. Like they were like just these guys have to be the ones who are gonna do it. Go. Yep. A lot of this season just came down to the Evs didn't have any other choices. Be it Sam yeah. Gerard, be it Nathan McKinnon, you gotta be the man. 
Yeah. I mean, you they they turned it over. They said, "Look, we got here with the kids. The kids are gonna they're either gonna step up in game eighty two, and this is gonna serve as a springboard, or they're not." Now we don't know what the not universe looks like because they did it, and then they've taken that big step forward. They took the step forward last year. They won a playoff round, and then they took the step forward this year. They were a very good regular season team. One hundred percent. That's, I think, a good place to end this show. Unless you got final thoughts on game eighty two, AJ. Um, no. One of will always be one of the most memorable games that I cover in my career, just because of how everything played out, and just being in the locker room after, and people crying, and people hugging, and chatting with Landy, and talking with Barb's and Kerfoot. I, I always forget that I talked to Kerfoot for, first that day. Yeah. When I wandered in and I was like, so when you signed here last summer, did you think this was coming? And he laughed and he said, not this quickly. <laughs> okay. It's a good, honest answer. Yeah. You only good get honest. so many of those moments in your life for sure. Yeah. And I mean, you only, we hear, we hear Landis Cog has been doing the rounds, um, you know, yep. and he mentions it in every interview that you only get so many kicks at the can. You only have so many tries. And in his ninth year, he's feeling that. Yeah, I'm sure. Hey, he may only have five or six tries at this thing. If that, you know, you never know what tomorrow holds. And so you've got to, you've got to take advantage when you do get it. And he's feeling it now. And, and back then I think they were just, they, well, they were happy to be there. Uh, I think that they've transferred that mindset of we're just happy that we're there into, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Now we have to, we have to do this. This is our destiny. This is, this is our, this is the reason we were born. You know, they turned it into an existential thing. Happy to be here was building block number one. And it's come a long way in just two short years. It was a totally, uh, I, it was a totally acceptable way to feel at the time, given the circumstances. And it didn't linger, and I think that was the, the big part, that it didn't linger. They built off of it. Yes. I 100% agree with all of that. Um, a great moment, especially after the worst season ever. And I, to be honest with you, I, I feel very weird about it because that season in many ways kind of springboarded my career into ending up where I am now. So I feel extra fondly about it, but we don't need to get into all that. We're just going to get out of here for the show. Thank you everyone who came out live and watched with us. Hope y'all will join us again Wednesday. We are watching game two of the abs flame series from 2019. Should be a good one. And then we have Kale McCarr's first game as an Av on Friday. So, bunch of fun coming our way. It's not live hockey, but it's as close as we can get right now. So, I guess we'll have to take it. I I like that that was a playoff game in a tied series, a 1-1 series. And we're like, it's Kale McCarr's first Avs game. Yeah, the playoff part is not important. (laughs) That's what we remember. Either way, yeah, hope you all join us. Thank you for listening. You will hear from us again tomorrow.
Denver Rubber Company is the most reliable local partner for your long-term projects and has been since 1972. They provide the highest quality of custom die-cut gaskets, molded rubber, custom contract manufacturing, hoses, snowplow blades specifically, as they make some of the best snowplow blades out there you can find. They can be custom-made to whatever fittings you might need them for, and they're double-sided, so you can get use out of them time and time and time again. Even if you are looking at the weather outside and thinking, you know what, snow's almost gone? First of all, it's Colorado, so it will snow again. Secondly, you can always store these things and use them next winter as well. So be sure to give them a call. You can reach Denver Rubber Company at 1-800-259-0010 or visit them at drcfirst.com slash dnvr and get yourself hooked up with whatever projects you may need. Avalanche with Hayfully and Rudo. The M P R Avalanche with Hayfully and Rudo. The M P R Avalanche with Hayfully and Rudo.